The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Meet the Visionary Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from thought leaders who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to address societal topics, and more importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the game changers, I promise you're in the right place and your heart is in the right place today. I'll explain in a minute. The buzz today, it begins at home. Oh, you know what I mean. It's charity. Let's get started. Beyond enormous competition for consumer and corporate funding, charities today face their greatest challenges in maintaining financial transparency and optimizing their use of resources. Now, let me stop there for a second. We all read about it way too often in the headlines. Such and such a charitable organization is not using 80 or 90 or 100 percent of donations for what we would call the the valid purposes that we contribute so they can they can accomplish things uh maybe it's going to too much overhead maybe they have huge executive salaries we all know everybody is looking the books need to be open so how are charities going to do this well we think technology is going to come to their rescue but Technology is a very broad topic, and where should charities invest their precious time and their dollar resources if they want to embrace the advantages of tech? Well, they could go to social media platforms. Why? Well, they want to boost fundraising, visibility, validity, all that good stuff. Or they could invest in predictive analytics to improve their efficiency and their impact. Lot to consider for a charitable organization. We have a panel of three experts today who are going to help us all dive into this topic and figure it out. So whether you're involved in a charitable organization, whether you run one, whether you're thinking of starting one, or whether you're just somebody who likes to donate, I think this topic will resonate with you on any one of many, many levels. First up on our panel, I'm very pleased to welcome Chris Kraus, and he is with Better Place, B-E-T-T-E-R-P-L-A-C-E dot org. And Chris has sent me a wonderful quote from Victor Hugo. Those of you who don't want to do the French accent, is Victor Hugo was a French poet, novelist, dramatist of the Romantic movement, considered one of the greatest and best-known French writers. And I'm going to read this in French, and then we will translate. The quote is, On résiste à l'invasion des armées, on ne résiste pas à l'invasion des idées. And to me, that's loosely translated as, we resist the invasion of armies, we don't resist the invasion of ideas. Chris Krauss, how are you today? Calling from Germany, right? Yes, I am. And I'm fine, thank you. I'm really excited to be on the show. Thank you. We're delighted. I think this is the first time I've had an entire quote in French. How did I do, Chris? <clears throat> Fantastic. Formidable, I would say. And, uh, oh, merci, I merci. <laughs> 
this is not my normal voice. I'm a little hoarse. I have a hoarse voice today. Um, but I'm fine. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Wonderful. So talk to me. Interesting quote. We, we don't resist the invasion of an army. We do resist the invasion of army, but not ideas. I know that people say they're resistant to change. They fear change. But ideas, new ideas bring change. So how does this topic, this quote, relate to our topic about philanthropy and technology? Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, sure. Um, when I read the quote, I usually, you know, I translate to myself as like nothing is stronger as an idea whose time has come and mm-hmm. the idea is bringing so much change to our society. And yeah, I think, uh, well, we know that the, in, uh, the in internet or the development and the digitization has a huge impact on most aspects of our lives. And of course, it brings also a lot of change to the charitable world. Um, um, I see mostly opportunities um, more than threads um, for any aspects of our lives, <clears throat> but also for charities. Of course, we're facing problems in the sense of, well, how do we do? How do we deal with the, the new technology? How can we actually use it? <clears throat> but when we look at the charitable sector, people who want to donate, who want to give something, they are really interested in knowing uh, what's happening. So they want, they expect transparency, they want information, they want better data on what's happening. Mm-hmm. Talking about impact measurement, etc., etc., on one side, and the receiving um, institutions like the, the, uh, the charitable organizations also want to reach people, and um, reaching people is, uh, can be really uh, much easier than in the past when you know how to use social media. So there's a lot of you know, issues, of course, we have to solve questions about data security, etc. But um, I see a huge potential in the possibilities that open up uh, in front of us, um, especially in, in the sector we're talking about today. Thank you very much, Chris. Great introduction to our topic. I have a question for you. In my opening, I asked, where should charities invest their precious time and their precious dollar resources? Would you say they should go 50-50 with social media platforms to boost visibility, reach, fundraising opportunities, or should they go on to the, the, the deeper tech side, meaning the predictive analytics, the insight into what's going on, the ability to do accurate reporting so they can validate? their cause and, and validate their, shall we say, their honesty, their integrity. Do you think it should be a 50-50 split, or do you think it should be geared more toward the analytics side? Well, I think I would look at the, the question from two angles. One angle is <clears throat> the size of the of the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly depends on, you know, how big an organization is um, with regard to what do they actually need in terms of processes and structures, etc. The other angle I would look at this is um, where does the organization stand? I mean, <clears throat> we know there's hundreds of thousands of organizations out there that really don't know how to uh, use any sort of social media. <clears throat> and uh, when we talk, when we take a, a picture, you know, a um, um, metaphor for that, uh, we could call them like crawlers. You know, they're just they're not um, running yet. They aren't using things uh, in a proper way yet, or not to their real benefit. <clears throat> so when we discuss this question, where should they invest into, or what do they, should they invest into, I would ask first, you know, where does the company, the organization stand, and how large is it? Who does it want to reach, and <clears throat> with what resources can they actually work? If you look at grassroots initiatives, I would say, uh, use the very um, uh, cheap uh, possibilities that social media uh, 
have or offer to reach people. If you're a large organization, I think it's probably very smart to invest in uh, high-end processes and systems. Thank you very much, Chris. I really appreciate your thoughtful response to my very long question. Thank you very much. We're going to give your voice a rest here. Let me introduce our second panelist. We're welcoming Roger Ford, who is a managing director and global lead for Accenture Development Partnerships. And Roger has sent me a quote from Ken Olson. Anybody remember DEC, Digital Equipment Corporation? I was working with some of their reps way back in the day when I was a programmer. Kenneth Harry Olson was an American engineer who co-founded DEC in 1957 with his colleague Harlan Anderson. And here is the quote. There is no reason anyone, oh boy, there is no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. 1977, Ken Olson, he really said that. Roger Ford, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great, and thanks for having me on the show today. Well, delighted. Talk to me. This is uh, this is one of those, did he really say that? <laughs> How Ken, is Ken Olson still around? Is he holding his head up high? I hope he didn't not invest in certain stock back then. <laughs> Welcome, Roger. How does this relate to our topic today? Yeah, well, it's, it's always interesting to see the sweeping type prediction quotes that come out over the years. And I'm sure there's a quote very similar to this that's already happened this year that will be proven you know, wrong five or ten years from now. And we've seen this throughout the history of technology and really throughout the history of just innovation. So it it resonates well with me because I'm always saying we don't know the exact answers to any of the questions that we might think we do today. And this is true for any industry that we might uh, look at, but particularly true for philanthropy and to civil society, is it, it goes to where should these organizations be investing a lot of this technology is evolving, and the uses of this te- technology is evolving in real time. So what I always advise our clients and you know, large international NGOs, as well as small organizations as well, is don't chase the latest trends and don't mm-hmm. think you know what the answer is going to be you know, one, three, five, ten years out, because it's likely to be incorrect. I mean, who would have predicted? You know, I always look at the developing world you know, and the end beneficiary f- first, and I say, you know, who would have predicted the proliferation of mobile technology around the, in developing countries around the globe? I mean, it has proliferated substantially faster than any would have, anyone would have predicted 10 or 15 years ago, almost reading, reaching or even exceeding the rates in the developed world for folks having a mobile phone. And the interesting thing about that is, you know, these folks, in many cases, these, these citizens, don't even have access to electricity or clean water, but they have a mobile phone in their hand. And that really is the basis around, you know, how I look at no one needs a computer in their home. I mean, who would have thought anyone would have needed a mobile phone? And a mobile phone when you don't even have access to, you know, basic needs like clean water or electricity. So that's the opportunity. And if you look at the other side of the, you know, the equation, the donor, uh, particularly millennials and others who are now, becoming the next generation of individual donors, is they, they use those phones to actually communicate, to interact, and they want that real-time information. And they want it all the way down to the individual on the other end of the equation. So how do we link these communities together? And how do you know, large charitable organizations, civil society, as we say, how do they put in the systems, the, change the culture, basically, to link those communities together together? Uh, without being marginalized somewhere in the middle. And that's the challenge we face today.
And it's a big challenge. Thank you very much, very much, Roger. Appreciate your being with us. And a shout out to your colleagues at Accenture. We always appreciate their participation. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> what do you think Ken Olson is saying right now? <laughs> very interesting. David Yonker is our third panelist. David is a senior director of big data initiatives for SAP. And David has sent me a quote from Ban Ki-moon, the South Korean statesman and politician who is the eighth and current secretary general of the United Nations. And here's the quote. The data revolution is giving the world powerful tools that can help usher in a more sustainable future. Beautiful quote. David, how are you? Hi, I'm doing great, Bonnie. Thank you. Thanks for joining. You keep popping up on our shows. You've been on the Internet of Things. You've been on Coffee Break. You brought me on Coffee Break with Game Trainers, brought me uh, the director and some of the production people from the face. Uh, what is it? The face of human, human face of big data. Human face correct? of big data. That's correct. Human yep. face of big data. And here you are popping up on Meet the Visionary. So welcome back to, I'll just say welcome back to Game Changers because you are. David, how did you come to pick this quote from Ban Ki-moon for our topic on philanthropy today? Yeah, SAP is, uh, has gotten involved with um, some work around the new uh, sustainable development goals that the, the member states of the UN have ratified. They actually just ratified them uh, end of September. Um, and, the, the, and these are actually building on the Millennium Development Goals that were ratified 15 years ago. And these, those goals, um, there were eight of them. They were very far-reaching. So, for example, one of them was cut in half the number of people living in extreme poverty around the world. All right? It seems like a, a, a crazy kind of far-stretching goal. Amazingly, actually, they, they uh, were able to cut, cut it by 43%. They, in 15 years, they have reduced by 43% the number of people in the world living in extreme poverty, which is which kind of a crazy you know, um, um, goal and achievement. So, so now the, U, the, uh, the UN has actually just uh, ratified um, um, 17 sustainable development goals, building on the Millennium Development Goals. So they've, they've actually doubled the number of goals that they've got, and they're just as far-reaching. So now they will actually, so for example, one of them is completely eliminate people living in extreme poverty. Um, but it's, it's everything from poverty to equality to uh, healthy living to food security to uh, uh, climate change, protecting biodiversity loss, all those, the very far-reaching goals. Um, so 15 years ago, uh, the Internet was, was around, but it hadn't really sort of taken off the way that we see today, right? We talk about, uh, I mean, the computer was around, and, and uh, poor Ken Olson had already been proven <laughs> wrong by the year 2000. But, um, but, for example, the adoption of mobile devices um, hadn't reached the, the point it has uh, today. And so... A year ago, uh, UN Sec Secretary General Ban Ki-moon said, look, if we're going to do these sustainable development goals, we want to bake in right away all this data that we've got that's being generated by these devices and, and make use of them to, to help monitor and achieve these goals. Thank you very much, David. Very well put, and I appreciate that. We do want to eradicate poverty, and if technology can help that, why not? Now... Let's go back, all the way back to Chris Kraus. Chris is not feeling well. He's calling from Germany. And Chris, I'm going to ask you a very important question. Charity begins at home, and so does taking care of yourself. We want to know, what are you drinking right now? Where are you in Germany? What time of the day or evening is it? And are you drinking something for your sore throat? So tell us a little bit about Christian Kraus. What do you like to drink? Sure. 
I'm in uh, I'm in Germany in Berlin, Germany. It's uh, quarter past four uh, in the afternoon, and um, I do drink hot water. And um, mm. specific reason to that: uh, back in 2002, um, I was living in China, in Beijing, China, for one and a half years. And once I had a cold, and I went to a, to a doctor, and I said, "You know, I have a cold. Can you give me a prescription?" He said, "No. Um, what I tell you to do is you drink hot water." And uh, if the cold is still there after four days, then you come back. But I bet you you won't come back. So since then, uh, when I get a cold, and it's quite rare, I uh, drink hot water and uh, keep fingers crossed that uh, my cold's over soon. Smart doctor. Very, very smart. I like that. That's a very natural approach. Tell me, how hot is this water? And do you put anything in it, like lemon or any uh, any sweetener, or just hot? Is it boiling? No, or it's, it's like- true. <laughs> No, it's really just hot water. The, the Chinese call it bai cha, which means white tea. Um, you, that's just, you know, uh, that's the answer. There's nothing to it. It's, it to be honest, it uh, doesn't taste really exciting. But um, as long as you believe in it, I guess it helps. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's what I'm drinking at the moment. There you go. Thank you. We hope you feel better, and thank you for joining us in spite of, but you do sound good. Roger Ford, where are you calling from, and what are you drinking, or what do you plan to drink after the show, Roger? <laughs> yeah, I'm based and uh, calling today from Washington, D.C. It's uh, about uh, 1020 a.m. in the morning, and I have a big cup of Starbucks dark roast venti-sized coffee in front of me. And uh, it is the best. I drink it black. Uh, always have. Mm. If it's not Starbucks, I go for Dunkin' Donuts, or I even go sometimes to the convenience stores and get the largest coffee they offer. And it's really because it goes back a few years. I was working in the energy business and the energy practice, uh, convenience retailing. And really, I got used to the coffee that you find in in a gas station. And, you know, many Mm. cases, it's overcooked, overbrewed, and it is dark, and, and really, it wakes you up. And (laughs) <laughs> That's kind of what I've always gone with, and today, you know, it's, it has to be a lot. It has to be a big cup, and it's funny. When I go overseas and I go to a Starbucks, the first one I can find and, and get my normal venti-sized coffee, a lot of people laugh because they say it's the Americans who go over and get that big-sized coffee, take it on the go, and walk down the street with this giant cup with the Starbucks logo. And, uh, you know, I'm happy doing that, but, but the, uh, the cultural... Uh, uh, focus on what that really means, and, and maybe that is more of an American-based culture um, is, is kind of funny when you look at it. Very interesting, Roger. I'm thinking in, in back in the day, Americans were known for walking around Europe with their big cameras. Remember? <laughs> exactly. Remember before we had our little tiny smartphones with their built-in cameras or our little f- slim iPads or tablets with their cameras? We were walking around with big clunky cameras, and, and the, the theory was, uh, oh, there's another R-I-C-H American tourist with his big fancy probably Japanese camera, right, showing off in Europe. Do you remember that? Am I, am I the only one? Roger? <laughs> nope, I, I remember that. I had one myself. I was just saying that, you know, the more we've gotten to the cell phone, um, now we take all these pictures, but we never look at them again. We never print them. And I was just having this conversation with someone. I have probably more pictures in a week than my parents had of me throughout my entire childhood. You know, but we never print them out now. We never look at them. So I don't know. We're collecting all this information. I did have the old camera uh, before the cell phone could do it. 
Exactly. And now we're known for the people walking around with the big, big vente coffees walking around. <laughs> and another thing you said that got me, I was so laughing here. You talked about gas station coffee and overcooked. My goodness, the guy who's pumping the gas, taking the money, taking the credit cards inside when the machine outside doesn't work. And now he's the barista. Can you imagine that job description? You will dispense little sandwiches. You will give the gas. You will wipe the windshields if you're on the full service aisle. And you will give change if you have to. You will fill the oil if they need it. And you will also brew the coffee. What a job description. Talking about (laughs) modern jobs. Very, very interesting. Thank you. Thank you for a couple of good smiles in there, Roger Ford. And David Yonker, of course, last but not least, how many times have you had to tell me what you're drinking? But anything different and exciting today? David? Yeah, it's 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 the uh, the usual for me, which is a a uh, black tea, not a white tea. Um, although sometimes I do drink uh, white tea, just just hot water. So I find that I drink too much caffeine, and so uh, I've been told to to lay off a little. But but today I got a hot hot black coffee. Got my hands wrapped around the cup. They are a little frosty. I I uh, cycled in this morning. I, I'm up in Canada. Um, and uh, fall has very much come. Uh, the leaves have changed, but uh, it's getting pretty frosty first thing in the morning when I cycled in, and I uh, was probably... Wait a minute, wait a minute. Cycled in? What did you cycle on? What kind of a bike or a motorbike? Bicycle? Uh, a, a bicycle, yeah, with the pedals. Uh, Whoa. Pedaling my, my heart out to, to get to the office, so... Um, well... Uh, We've certainly learned a lot about the three of you. We've got uh, David and Chris drinking the white tea, the the hot water. We've got uh, uh, we've got Roger talking about whether he's getting the gas station coffee, but Americans walking around in Europe with the big venti cup. And we've certainly covered a lot of territory. Thank you for the great stories, the three of you. I never expected we'd uh, learn so much about the three of you. As David Yonker knows, they don't let Bonnie have caffeinated beverages on radio show days. Aha! So I'm drinking just a I have a very pretty cup here with a hot pink straw because I'm so happy to be on the radio with the three of you with just uh, now room temperature filtered water, and that's about as good as it gets. So our topic today, a very important topic, whether you're out there from a philanthropy, from a charity, whether you want to start one, well, that's a topic all by itself, a brand new topic. How is technology changing the face of philanthropy? We have three very smart people on this topic helping us figure it out today. We have Chris Krause at betterplace.org. We have Roger Ford at Accenture and David Yonker at SAP. And of course, I'm Bonnie D. Graham here at SAP bringing you our show from the Business Channel. And we'll do a shout out to Justin, our engineer. And I'm simply going to say, don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back with a very, very energetic roundtable. I can promise you that. So Justin, here's your shout out. Justin, out. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The world is at an inflection point where we capture more information than ever before and are more interconnected. 
While this has led to technological breakthroughs where new industries have been created, there are still new areas evolving where billions of people can be reached. All it takes is to unlock the transformative power of technological change to improve people's lives. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Meet the Visionary Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Meet the Visionary Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Meet the Visionary Game Changers. And yes, indeed, we do have three visionaries with us today. We have Chris Krause at BetterPlace.org. We've got Roger Ford from Accenture and David Yonker from SAP. And by the way, if you want to know more about David, he spells his last name J-O-N-K-E-R, and he's the Senior Director of Big Data Initiatives for SAP. Our topic today is changing the face of philanthropy with technology. A lot of big words to spell there, but we can at least pronounce them right. I'm going to turn to Chris Krause, and we're going to start our roundtable. I want to talk about donors because, Chris, anybody in our audience today has probably either given to a charity, donated in some way, whether it was putting a quarter into a jar of uh, Santa Claus ringing a bell for something at Christmas, whether it was getting uh, something in the mail saying, hey, we have this beautiful little notepad for you if you'll just pop five bucks on your credit card or a check in the return envelope, whether it's going to a fundraising event where the hat was literally passed around. They said, put your cash and your checks, your credit cards in. We're going to take that money. Thank you very much. So let me read the statement from Chris's uh, statement here. And from his notes and let's see where we go. He says donors are increasingly asking for substantial information and transparency for good reason. Donors want up-to-date, precise information on a charity's activities they support. So let's expand this. Chris, what do donors really want to know? What should we want to know and how are we going to get it today? Yeah. Well, first of all, um, it's it's a good sign that people want to know what's happening with the money. And um, I'm not criticizing anyone who says, you know, I give 50 euro, 50 dollar to a charity, and, you know, that's it. I don't need to know more about it. Um, it'd be nice if that was the case, but uh, that's all right. But there's many people who say, I want to give to a specific um, uh, to a specific topic or something that I want to, I'm specifically interested in. And also, I want to have feedback. I want to know what's happening with my money. So I find this a very, very good development overall. And um, uh, information is one thing that um, donors expect, and transparency. Also, as I said, they want to have a feedback. So um, yeah, I, I donate something online, and I people um, appreciate when they get an email back saying, well, thank you for your donation, and this is what we're going to do with the money that you just gave. Mm-hmm. There's something else that touches technology a lot. Um, it's about convenience. People want to have a you know, very easy, nice, convenient way to give money. And uh, Roger, you earlier said you, the quote that you brought to the round table was there's nothing, there's no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. How true that is because time moves on so quickly and people have everything in their, in their pocket, right? They have things in their, on their mobile phone. And um, 
we at betterplace.org, we, you know, um, of course, we developed a platform uh, under the claim mobile first because mobile donation is <clears throat> evolving so so rapidly. And um, when I say touches technology, we're talking about user experience. People want to have a very small, a very easy and um, convenient uh, way to get to information, research themselves, find the the project or the organization they would like to support. They want to, in many cases, support a specific thing, a theme, and um, they don't want to go through a long, complicated process. They want to have it easy. <clears throat> and these are the things that we um, that we um, see um, a lot in, in what we do in our market. I'm speaking about Germany, but I know it's true for any for any uh, market out there in the world. Very interesting, and making it easy. You know, as you're speaking, Chris, I'm thinking of crowdsourcing, crowdfunding today. And it, 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 in terms of philanthropy, I, I think philanthropy, I don't know, maybe I'm really really pushing the limit here, and we'll have Roger and, and you and David chime in on this. When somebody says, oh, it's always been my dream, my passion to make a record album, but I only need $10,000 to press my first, I know they're not using vinyl anymore, but to, to get an orchestra into the studio. And you're, you're really giving to the charity of, uh, you know, Jimmy Jones, who wants to be a singer. And that's another way of fundraising, and you could think of the Jimmy Jones charity helping get that beautiful voice out in the world. I'm, I'm just riffing here. Roger Ford, thoughts on the donor perspective, wanting more information. How do we get it? How do we give? How do we know where our money went? Any thoughts on what Chris introduced for us? Yeah, and I think, you know, Chris was spot on with the fact that millennials and, you know, individualized donors want a certain level of transparency. You know, every mm-hmm. dollar they give, in many cases, they want a real-time reflection on did the child receive it, you know, did I buy, uh, you know, a bushel of corn, what happened? I think we also need to look at, you know, what our large institutional donors are interested in as well. Because if you think about, you know, crowdsourcing and the transparency it provides to an individualized cause, and in many cases, as we know, crowdsourcing works extremely well in philanthropy and giving when it's applied to something that's in the news, the Syrian refugee crisis, uh, an earthquake. You know, people mm-hmm. see it, it's spotlighted, I immediately get a, a tweet, and I can respond and give. And that works extremely well. The issue is it it's, can be fragmented, right? It can be around that one specific issue in time that over time, you know, it, things move on. So we have to look at the transparency and the larger programs that, you know, large civil society organizations are focused on. In uh, many cases, um, what David was saying with the sustainable development goals, these goals require large, sustained programs in developing economies around the globe. And those programs need to be measured and monitored and reported upon with very sophisticated data measurements. In many cases, some of this can be collected by mobile phones, by community health care workers, you know, uh, even by monitoring electrical grids and, you know, proliferation of disease monitoring, things like that. So, there's a lot of data that's going in, and the sophistication of the systems that these large organizations are going to need to put in place are quite costly, you know, endeavors. And that's why I think, you know, where this is all going is really leveraging, you know, the development of the cloud and the development of analytics and big data that go along with that. And rather, you know, each individualized NGO or charity 
try to adapt that framework or put in place the tools to do it by investing like they used to do, you know, in legacy systems inside their firewall, you know, eventually we will move to a world that, you know, does that through the cloud and organizations can leverage this big data warehouse to both report in and pull back data that I think mm-hmm. will provide both transparency to the individualized, you know, cl- donor, like we talked about, the individualized millennial donor, or to the institution. Uh, but balancing all of that is really a tricky um, game at this point when it comes to big, you know, big civil society organizations. Very, very much so. And as you're speaking, Roger, I'm thinking that in order to start a charity today or grow one, you need money for infrastructure. You need to make those choices now rather than an older established charity saying, okay, we have to modernize, we have to embrace technologies, we have to increase opportunities for potential donors or existing donors to give for the first time or to give more. They already are in the business, excuse me, saying business of a philanthropy, of a philanthropical organization, but the new ones really have to make the right choices and hit the ground running and need sources and funding. Interesting. Yeah. David Yonker, join us. Thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I think that uh, data is critical to, to making all of this happen without a doubt, you know, so agreement essentially with, with the conversation that's happening. Um, and, and I think that as uh, more and more uh, charities and NGOs um, make good use of the data, it'll just sort of amp up the need for it, um, for others to, to follow and, and follow in that path, right? I mean, we all, when we give money, we all want to know that it's, that it's going to the cause and making a difference. Um, mm-hmm. And the work, for example, around these sustainable development goals um, is exactly that, right? I mean, the Millennium Development Goals governments were pouring in billions of dollars uh, to try and achieve them. Some of them they didn't even know how to measure. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and you're, you're spending billions of dollars on something that, that you're not even sure how to measure whether you're being effective. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, this, at least this time around, they're being very smart about it. But um, I think that it's applicable to everyone. Thank you very much. I just want to point out for our panel and for our listeners, I just Googled how do you know what a charity is doing with your money. Just put it into the Google box. And all of a sudden, well, immediately I got a page full of articles from various organizations. Uh, There's one from back in 2013 on Marketplace.org, the worst charities get information before you make a donation. There's one on Lifehacker.com, know how your charitable donations will be spent before you invest. How do you know if your money is doing any good? Here's one from CharityNavigator.org, your guide to intelligent giving. That's an interesting one, Charity Navigator. Here's one from Consumer.FTC.gov from the Federal Trade Commission before giving to a charity, consumer information. Here's one from Charity.LoveToKnow.com, what percentage of your donations go to charity? How much out of every dollar do you give? There's one from National. Oh, I don't. You can't even read this. De- DeseretNews.com. Do you know where your money is going when you give? Another one from Money.USNews.com. U.S. News and World Report, December 2014. How to tell if a charity is legitimate? There's one from the SimpleDollar.com. How to invest? Investigate a charity. The Simple Dollar. And on and on and on. Time.com has it. An article. Bankrate has an article. P- people really do want to know. Chris, this was your topic. You want to comment on the proliferation? 
proliferation of articles because people are concerned from the donor perspective or even maybe from the major philanthropical philanthropical investor perspective if you're going to fund a charity not just pop that five or ten dollar or twenty five dollar but you're going to actually be the one to underwrite the whole charity any thoughts on how much people are concerned chris kraus well again i would say concern is is um, is not necessarily something negative um mm-hmm. when you invest uh, more than fifty dollars in a, in a charity okay. it's uh, it's your um it's your task actually to to um, uh, investigate and, and find out uh, what the charity is, uh, what is it, what it's set up, and uh, who's working there, what they have in mind, what their plans are. You mentioned earlier, Bonnie, um, that uh, you used the word the term business for charities and said, "Oh, mm-hmm. maybe that's not uh, the right term." But I think, in some respect, it is because yeah, um, you know, you, sometimes I say, you know, you should be running a charity just as it was, as if it was business in the sense that you need professional processes, you need professional structures, and you need to face uh, uh, what's expected from you in terms of transparency, uh, just as other companies are um, facing the same uh, tasks uh, in that respect. And, um, yeah, I, I, I just see that um, people want to know more and uh, technology can provide them with a lot more than it was possible maybe uh, in the past also because we can spread information. And I think that's a very important aspect of the whole discussion. Um, <clears throat> looking at the platform that we're running, and, you know, Germany mm-hmm. is just one market. It's about four, five billion euros, uh, five billion dollars, uh, uh, individual donations that are being given um, in Germany. And we are running the lar- largest donation platform, and we are part of the sector ourselves because the place is by itself a charitable organization. And what we, <clears throat> what we can see is that, um, or what we call um, the, our way to, to push transparency is, uh, we call it uh, the web of trust. So what, we, what we're trying to do is we try to provide the donors as much information as possible so they c- can uh, leave comments on the platform, they can ask questions that are publicly uh, visible and uh, the answers are publicly visible. And people can actually go, when they go to the charities to look at them, they can write a post on the platform about what they saw. And we even know from backpackers that plan their route along projects on the platform just to comment about them. And this mm-hmm. crowd information is, I think, one very valuable um, thing to, to um, provide the information that people expect when they invest or donate to a charity. Thank you, Chris. I, it's is it very crowded out there on the philanthropy? I have trouble saying philanthropical in one breath. Uh, the philanthropy uh, world is it very crowded? With uh, I mentioned about if you want to start a charity, you want to grow a charity. How bad is it out there? I know this is not on our topic list today, but I'm just wondering, Roger, David, Chris, what have you observed? Is it is it a very crowded landscape where you're actually competing? Is there a, a cause of the day? I know some people have said that in the U.S., uh, breast cancer was the cause of the day or the cause of the year for a while, and maybe different types of cancers might be the ones that are catching the public's interest, where those are the ones people want to donate. How competitive is it? Roger Ford, any uh, observations from your, your, your position at Accenture on charities? Yeah, it is a very competitive um sector. And you wouldn't mm-hmm. think that because you would say all these organizations probably should be working together. 
And they do in many cases when there's a crisis or, you know, a cause. But when it comes to soliciting donors of getting that goodwill established and continuing to, you know, win and maintain the growth that they need to achieve, it is very competitive. So it may be going after money from a large donor agency like a, you know, bilateral agency like USAID, which Mm -hmm. is a big funding agency of the U.S. government, or it may be, you know, getting new uh, individualized donors. That is highly competitive. And organizations do have brand recognition. So some people do, you know, focus on something that might be faith-based or something that might be an organization that might be focused on a specific sector or theme or issue. Um, And then they do, in many cases, maintain that loyalty. But but when it comes to getting new donor, um, you know, new constituents, Mm-hmm. or even maintaining and winning new opportunities, that is highly competitive. And I think it would be very hard to break in at scale. Yeah. You, know, uh, you know, it's congratulations to the, you know, the great um, work that, that Christian has done in building, you know, betterplace.org. But to start that out, I think, is extremely challenging in today's environment and get it to scale. Great points. Thank you yeah. very much. David Yonker, thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't. I don't actually have a lot of experience. I mean, I have personal experience, but uh, don't have a lot of experience with, um, uh, you know, from a from a professional perspective. Uh, my personal experience is, you know, I've got. Uh, I love to give, um, you know, but but there's a sort of a limited, uh, you know, a budget if you like to, towards that, mm-hmm. and and I do find that, um, you know, personally, I get solicited uh, by many many organizations, and, yeah, and. Um, you know, there there does seem to be a bit of a an overload at times in terms of, you know, how they get how they, you know, how many there are out there. <laughs> I I agree, and I've I've noticed that there's a little bit of a guilt factor. I've noticed because we all, at least I do. I don't know about you in Canada, David, or or Chris in Germany, but we get envelopes of stickers, personalized mail mail return stickers with very pretty backgrounds and pictures. They've got landscapes on them and they've got seashells and sometimes they have Christmas decorations with my exactly spelled name, including my middle initial D when David knows I don't go anywhere without the D and my address, including now my apartment number and my zip code extended. And the, they come in an envelope. There are maybe a hundred of these stickers and they come with a notepad with my name customized it and then they say please check this box and return with either your credit card number or a check or go to our website online my mom gets these my mom is going to be 99 next february (laughs) she's i call her age right now 98.6 and she gets these and she she says to me i feel so guilty they sent me a gift how can i not give and i said mom you're going to sit here all day writing checks to charities some of which you don't even know anything about just put the stickers away or throw them out if you feel guilty any thoughts on on these this tactic uh, roger any thoughts since you know so much about this well i do you know i i'm not a big fan of the mass mailing campaigns and the yes. stickers and things like that because what i see there is a huge what i'll say waste of resources right and, yes. and it's just yes. a broad yes. focus you know broad mass mailing type campaign and X percentage of those things might come back. But, mm-hmm. you know, the, the offset of the cost of doing that is something that really I always say I don't want my dollars going to. And this is really, I think, where the focus of these crowdsourcing campaigns and, and some of the initiative and, 
and momentum that they gain is because you kind of see that you're bypassing that whole upfront process. Yes. Um, and I think organizations, I think the larger traditional charities and NGOs, they've gotten smart to that as well. They're not doing it as much. So I do think that um, the ones that you might see are the ones you, you know, that happen a lot are the ones you probably want to stay away from because, you know, if you look at some of the overhead rates on these charities, and I had one come to me not too long ago to my house. I hadn't heard of it. I did some research on Charity Navigator and some other due diligence. I found that only 10 cents of what you were donating per dollar was actually getting to the cause, and mm. that is absolutely ridiculous. So I think the established brands, the ones that we all know um, and have worked with for years, they look very closely at ensuring that the maximum amount of dollars get out to their programs and their end beneficiaries. They're not in business of just operating themselves, whereas I think these other ones are a little bit you know, into that and you will basically lose the bulk of your dollars in their operating costs. Interestingly enough, Roger, and thank you for the, that very astute commentary, uh, St. Jude's Research Children's Research Hospital is one of the ones that sends out those return address stickers. I get them many times a year, and they are big. That's Danny Thomas's organization, and his daughter Marla, who, by the way, is on Broadway in something now. Uh, surprise me, she's come out come out of hiding, and she's performing again. Uh, they're one of the biggest, most established charities, and and they're doing it. So very interesting. We are uh, getting close on time here, and I want to cover a few more of the wonderful topic information points that my panelists sent before the show. David, we've covered so much of your stuff. Uh, let me go back to Roger for a second here. Uh, Roger, I want to hit one topic here and have you go, and then I'm going to bring up one of David's. You say NGOs and charities must transform now, and you put it not only in capital letters and in bold, but you underlined it, and that means you're yelling, you're shouting, must transform now (laughs) to survive and ultimately grow their impact moving forward. How urgent is this? Uh, How much time do they have to transform? Well, that is a good question, and it goes back to my quote. Um, you know, we really don't know how much time they have, you know, in the scheme of, um, you know, the movements that are happening and the embracing of the technology, which is really, you know, what we're here to talk about. What we do know is they need to be leveraging these types of technology and digital programs and assets now. And that is whether it be the social media, the mobile technology, the analytics and big data, the cloud you know, the connected Internet. I mean, all of these things, if they're not doing it now, they're going to be missing the trick later. And this is a huge cultural change as well in many of these organizations because they go back, you know, many of them 50 or more years. And it's a very, you know, traditional culture. It's federated organizations, so various countries work independently of other countries, even though the same brand exists. So they need to be going through now and really looking at how they're going to embrace these technologies, roll them out globally, and put in place the organizational structure to really be set for growth and to embrace this change. And many, most of them are doing that now, but it's going to be a long-term process. And, you know, if, if those who fall behind or start losing momentum – there's probably going to be some mergers and acquisitions and things that happen, you know, traditionally in the commercial sector will continue to happen in the development sector as well. 
Thank you very much. David Yonker, I want to cover one or two of your topics before we move to our predictions round. I'll give you a choice, David. We can talk about Global Partnership for Sustainable Development. Very interesting. Member states of the UN ratified 17 new sustainable development goals. Or we could talk about Barcode for Life. Which one would you like to, to expand for us, David Yonker? Yeah, yeah let's, let's talk about the Global Partnership for Sustainable Development okay. data. Yeah. Talk to me. The, Member, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, in, in many ways, the um, and I know we've, we've sort of talked on this topic a little bit already, but, um, um, you know, it, it, it really sort of captures a lot of the major challenges that, you know, even an individual charity faces, right? But now we're talking at a global level, right? Mm-hmm. So, so here, governments and, and NGOs and, and different organizations are spending, uh, you know, billions of dollars, um, you know, even a government in some level, when they're giving money, you know, they're acting like a charity. They're taking the taxpayer's dollar and they're, they're shipping it over to some other cause. Um, the, um, uh, but transparency is critical to that, right? How, how, how are those programs performing? Uh, how well are they doing? Are they making a difference or not? Um, you know, the, like the, 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 the objective around the Millennium Development Goals is, you know, the fact that they cut it almost in half the number of people living in extreme poverty, I had no idea. But that's a, in and of itself, is a very interesting data point to say, hey, you know, they're actually making a difference. I, before I had even heard that stat um, and sort of learned about the, the Millennium Development Goals, I thought, well, these are such high, far-reaching goals. You know, could we really, you know, uh, with some very big systemic problems or issues, right? How could we ever sort of really affect that kind of change? But, but amazingly, you know, that, that has happened. Um, it, but data is critical. So data is critical to everything um, uh, that gets done, uh, primarily for monitoring, right? And, and frankly, I think actually charities have an opportunity to differentiate themselves. Um, you know, if we, if we go, if, I know I'm jumping around here, but kind of going back That's to okay. that, that whole charity conversation, um, mm-hmm. You know the 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 whole gift thing is is very much a uh, that's a that's a basic marketing tactic where they're using basic psychology to they know that if mm-hmm. they give you a gift you're more likely to give money um, you know right. but there's a real opportunity here to differentiate themselves with data and there's a real opportunity um, uh, to do that at uh, at the global level and in fact I even wonder whether if governments and uh, the organizations involved. Uh, the, the various agencies involved in trying to help achieve these sustainable development goals, if they figure out how to use data in a very relevant way, there may be a trickle-down effect to these smaller um, uh, mm-hmm. charities, right? As they see that, there, look, there is a way to, to, to uh, monitor uh, these, the progress of these goals with data uh, in a fundamental way. Why can't this be applied to, you know, the smaller Smaller charities, for example, that that uh, you know I give to, um, that are around more specific causes. So there might be a cultural change in terms of our expectations um, mm-hmm. as donors. Um, uh, you know, so but but the global partnership itself is it, saying, look, you know, we've got these massive goals. We, there is this data revolution. There's massive amounts of data out there now. Um, why can't we tap into that data? Why you know, surveys. Government surveys from statistical offices aren't giving us the, the kind of data as quickly as we want, um, but businesses are generating data in, in incredible uh, uh, volumes. Um, and if we could just tap that to monitor it, but also to help achieve those goals, we could really make a difference. 
Thank so you, David. And, yeah. Yep. I, I have to move into predictions, so I want you to yeah. save what you're going to say next for your predictions. I'm going to circle back to Chris Krause at BetterPlace.org. Chris, I'm going to give you exactly yeah. 60 seconds for your predictions. I like the year 2020. It's less than five years away. How far in the future can you predict what will change about the face of philanthropy with technology, with the embracing of technology, the investment in technology, the smartness of technology to help philanthropy get their job, get their roles done better. Chris, 60 seconds, predictions, go. Okay. Got my watch right in front of me. Well, I think, um, <laughs> what if I look five years ahead, um, which is going on, the, the, you know, in this whole process. Roger, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, they have to move now, but at the same time, it's going to be a long game. Creative power of mankind is infinite. So I just believe that we will we will keep on developing new ways. We will um, find new tools to uh, bring more transparency and more efficiency to the sector of charities. And uh, I think that's the way we need to go. And um, at the same time, it's uh, as I said, it's uh, it's a long game. And I'd like to finish with a, another quote, if you allow me. Mm -hmm. the, the second of my top three favorite quotes. Um, I'm a mountaineer, and uh, there's a quote by Seneca, the Roman philosopher, and he once said, what do you think to be a peak is only but a step. It's nothing but a step. And I think we're at the beginning of a huge development in the sector of charitable organizations. Uh, normal business way, way far ahead, and uh, we'll have a lot of things to do. Thank you, Chris, very much. Love that quote as well. And Roger Ford at Accenture, I can give you 60 seconds for predictions. How far in the future are you going to take us? Roger, please go. Yeah, I would say, you know, five to ten years in the future, given the technology and digital themes that we're talking about, you know, where I see things going are really, you know, the, the possibility of cloud-based NGOs. So betterplace.org, of course, as Chris has been saying, is one way of raising money and ensuring it gets to the right causes, uh, which, is, which is a great uh, opportunity. But if you apply that same um, type of, you know, cloud-based um, program to the NGO sector, to traditional NGOs, if you can imagine them almost becoming virtual organizations, being able to, you know, uh, grow and and um, bring in talent to get products out to the last mile, whether it be medic medicines or foods uh, out to the last mile around the globe, but doing it on a virtual basis. Um, and, you know, utilizing the Internet of Things to monitor and provide the transparency that their donors are interested in, reducing those overhead costs by leveraging the cloud so leveraging these great cloud tools that support HR and talent management and scheduling and supply chain, this is the opportunity for organizations as they grow over time to really transform themselves to really physical and really physically based uh, institutions to something that is much more a virtual NGO or a cloud-based NGO. So that's where I would really see uh, some of the future going. Thank you. David Yonker, forgive me for this. One sentence prediction. We're almost out of time. Go ahead, David. One sentence. You bet. Um, I think that in the next five years, we'll actually see a shift from um, not just using data, uh, having NGOs use data to monitor how, how your financial donations are going, but we will see a place where uh, uh, data philanthropy will become a, a much more uh, popular thing. In, in other words, what you're donating is data itself towards a cause. 
um, to make a difference uh, in the world. Thank you very much. And that's really what we've been talking about for the whole hour, making a difference in the world and using technology to change the face of philanthropy. Thank you so much to Chris Krause at betterplace.org. Bravo on your good work, Chris, on your good heart. And I hope your throat feels better and go drink that white tea, hot water. Roger Ford at Accenture, pleasure to talk to you. And thanks for joining us today. David Yonker, always great to have you on board. And a shout out to the sponsors of this particular series. We have Romana Reidinger and we have Reno Samuel, and uh, we usually have Akua Odoi, and I think we have Nicola Bilaf joining us as well, and a shout-out to Justin and the Business Channel team at World Talk Radio. And to our tweeter today, we had Karen Geraldo, Geraldo 24 I believe she's with Deloitte in Canada. Thanks for the great tweet, Karen. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Everybody, here's your call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for right now? Be a visionary and be a game-changer today. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Meet the Visionary Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.